All right, we're going to uh, go ahead and have a word of prayer here, and then we're going to jump into the lesson. We're going to be back in the book of Amos tonight, Amos chapter 3. So if you want to have your Bibles open there, we're going to be working with uh, Amos chapter 3, 4, 5, and 6 tonight. And as we're still in this study of the uh, minor prophets, and we're praying for God to bless uh, the, the teaching of his word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day, and thank you for your goodness in our lives, and we thank you, Lord, for just your kindness And Lord, we think about our world, we think about the turmoil that's going on, specifically in Europe right now, we think about uh, the nation of the Ukraine, and Lord, we think about even Russian people, Lord, who really have nothing to do with this except that their leader has thrown them into this this war. Uh, We think of our, our missionaries in Russia, we think of Gary Lucas tonight, we think of James and Amber Pranger, Lord, we pray that you'd bless them and uh, Lord, we also pray for Brother Eugene and Brother Vlad, the pastors there who are national pastors in the Ukraine. And I'm sure there are hundreds, if not thousands of believers that are there, Lord, who need prayer support tonight and need the help of God. And so we pray that you just work in, the, in that situation and that your will and way be accomplished. Uh, Father, we thank you for Brother Ron and his vision to try to help. And we thank you for Brother, he, he and Brother Jim, the fact that they got across the border into the Ukraine and were able to do some things. And We pray, Father, for the literature that they're printing right now, trying to get it distributed. And, uh, Lord, just so many things that are at play. And we do pray for the 1040 window, Lord, specifically the Asian portion where we're working diligently to try to bring the gospel, Lord, to people who have never heard. And we thank you for our partners that are there and just the things that are happening this week in this very intense time of prayer focus as we pray for uh, joining our hearts together, Lord, that you would just open up doors of opportunity. And Lord, we do uh, pray for uh, the Konosinski family tonight. We ask that you'd help them and encourage them and uh, meet their needs. And we do pray, Father, for, um, for the Malines as well. And we think of the, the uh, Bauman family, Lord, for Miss Renee and her daughter Jennifer. And Lord, that you just encourage them today and during this time of difficulty. Father, we pray for your blessings on the teaching of the word tonight. Give us what we need to help the folks uh, that are here in this class tonight. We ask these things and pray that you bless the teaching reward across this property, the various classes, the various age groups, and as they're meeting together tonight. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So Amos chapter 3 is where we're going to begin tonight. And um, the prophet Amos, of course, uh, as you are very well aware, uh, was uh, kind of an anomaly. And, you know, most of these uh, Old Testament prophets that we would study their lives, we'd say, you know, they just really were given some, some strange things to do, you know. Uh, you may remember when we studied the life of Hosea or when the, 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 that was being taught, Hosea was told by God to go get a wife, but she's not going to be any normal wife. She's going to be a, a wife of harlotry. And uh, boy, the difficulty of that. And, and I think about the prophet Jeremiah told to lay on his side and, and Ezekiel do some very strange things. God, so these, these guys had some very difficult uh, things to deal with. But in our uh, area that we're dealing with tonight, chapter 3, chapter 4, chapter 5, uh, and 6, and we're finding that Amos is delivering a message, and it's not a kind of message that most people want to hear. It's a message of judgment. It's a message of God is judging you. This is the reason God is judging you. And so he's going to deliver this message, and there are really five sub-little messages that are found here in this particular portion of Scripture we're going to look at tonight. Three of them begin uh, with the, the words, hear now, or hear, hear this. Uh, you know, and, um, you know, I, I don't know, uh, I was kind of raised in a, in a family, uh, in a home where my dad was kind of the no-nonsense guy. And, you know, my dad would say a lot of things, but there were times when, you know, the tone of my dad's voice and the, just kind of the, the, you know, just the way he said it, I knew that he meant business and I better listen. And, and I kind of picked that up here in this particular text that as, as Amos is delivering this message to 
the nation of Israel about God's judgment. I, I find in this particular text that he, he, he does this. So this nation of Israel is in trouble with God. Think about that. You know, I, I suppose our world doesn't realize how much trouble they're in with God. And, uh, you know, we're, we're coming to the end of this, this uh, age of grace that we're living in. God right now is extending grace. And we're going to cross the line one of these days before too long. And when we cross that line, God's going to pull the plug on this planet. He's saying, okay, now the final seven years is here. And I, you're about to see my judgment. You're about to feel the wrath of God. And what a difficult moment that's going to be. We look at what's happening over in the Ukraine. and We see all the destruction and the difficulty. I'm here to tell you that's nothing in comparison to what is coming. And so as we look at this tonight, we must remember that God has established a covenant with this nation of Israel. I uh, like to use the illustration. When I was raising my boys, uh, we had three sons. And, and of course, uh, in the neighborhood where we're raising, when we first got, uh, came here to Cleveland, we, my wife and I, we came out of Bible college. We had one, one little boy, Kevin. And then we were here uh, about a year and a half. And Pete, Peter was born, who's the pastor of your church. Now he was born. And then after him came Andrew. And, uh, you know, we, we uh, were living in, in rental property, and we just started praying, God, would you give us a house? And God gave us our first house here in Cleveland, over on the west side of Cleveland, and uh, not far from here, maybe two, two or three miles. On that street we lived on, 128th Street, uh, between North Avenue and, and uh, Cooley Avenue, uh, man, there was a, just a ton of kids that lived in our neighborhood. And, uh, you know, our kids, you know, they go out and they play. And so they had all these friends on the street and those type of things. And, you know, those kids in the street, they could do some nutty things. And I, I could maybe say something to them, say, hey, knock that off. But I couldn't deal with them like I deal with my sons. When my kids were messing, I'd say, boys, get in the house. And we meant, you know, we were going to deal with some business. I couldn't do that with my neighbor kids, but I could do that with my, my children because I had a relationship with them. And when I think about what God is doing with the nation of Israel, he's going to bring the judgment down on them because these are his covenant people. They have entered into this relationship with God. And God said, I'm going to hold you responsible for your side of this covenant. I'm, I'm going to keep my end of it. I'm going to hold you responsible for your side of it. So here he, he begins these messages that we're going to look at tonight. The first three messages begin with the phrase, hear this word. Hear this word. And it was a reminder that uh, this was not Amos speaking to them, but this was God speaking to them. They were going to hear from God through the prophet Amos as he brings this message. So let's look at verses 1 through 15 of chapter 3. And let's hear about the certainty of God's judgment. Notice the, in, in, that in verses 1 through 8, we have a revelation of coming judgment. So notice what he says here. He says, hear this word that the Lord hath spoken against you. So, again, here's Amos emphasizing this is not my word. This is the word of God that he has spoken to me or through, through me to you. And he begins to hear this. He says, hear that he's spoken, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt. Now, you may remember at this moment, the nation of Israel was two nations. The division had come. So in the north, we have Israel. Uh, and of course, as, as you do the study of Israel, you understand that they never had one good king in the entire time that they had, uh, that they had separated. They were all godless people who really led Israel astray. And then we had the land of Judah, the two nations in the south. So uh, they were led by the, the descendants of David. And for the most part, they had some good kings and they had some that weren't so good. But now this prophecy that is, he's given here, would you notice he's saying, I'm not just giving this to the north. This is to the whole nation, to the whole family of Israel. So he's saying, it's not just a, a, a message that I'm delivering at this moment, because you, you may remember Judah has overstepped the bounds. They're not, not quite as far along, but God's not, as, not happy with them either. 
Notice what he says. Here's the reason. He said, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. So this relationship that God has with them brings with it this this responsibility to God to live according to his covenant. So Israel has a special relationship with God. I don't know if you remember, I'm, you know, sometimes as an older guy, I remember things that younger people don't remember. And I'm most, as I'm looking around here, not everybody's, most people in here are not that young. There's a few younger folks. But some of you may remember the commercial that American Express used to have. That They used to make this statement, American Express, members have their privileges. Remember that statement, members have their privileges. And what they were saying basically is if you have this, this particular credit card, you stand out from the crowd. And if you have this, you have certain privileges and rights that other people don't have. Well, the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, uh, that may be true. It may not be true. I am an American Express card holder. I don't know that they give me that many privileges. But the truth is, is that, uh, you know, they were saying, hey, this, there's some rights that come with this. Well, that's what God was saying to this nation. He said, you've got some responsibilities. You've got some rights. The truth is there were no people in the eyes of God like the Hebrew people. They were a nation that had been set apart as a people beginning with Abraham. God just made a choice. He said, I'm going to start a nation. I'm going to begin with this man, Abraham. And he pulls him out of all the places. He t- pulls him out of this place called Ur of the Chaldees in Babylon and brings him into this, this land of Canaan and begins this process of building this nation. And so, of course, when the people have this kind of relationship with God, they can expect that God's going to deal with them when they don't live for him the way that they should. And when they reject God and turn aside to the false gods of the heathen, of course, that's going to anger God and he's going to bring his judgment. So notice if you would in verse number two, would you say he says in verse number two, you only have I known. Now, if you're in the habit of underscoring things or circling things in your Bible, you might want to underscore that word known or circle. And here's what it means to know in the most intimate sense. In other words, this is not just to know. So I look around here and I know some people and we've had a relationship, but there are people in this room that I know better than others. Uh, nobody that I know any more than I know my wife that's in this room. So we have this very intimate relationship. My mother is here tonight. Uh, I know her. And and so what God is saying is that I have this relationship with you. Of all the people in the world, I I know you. And you know me. And so as a result of that, it brings this this idea. God states, I I have known, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. I know them. (laughs) And I'm holding you responsible so the idea of iniquity, it's a long-standing, persistent, compulsive sin that continues despite opportunities to turn from it. So God gave them opportunity after opportunity. How did he do that? Well, he gave it to, through their prophets. He continually sent them prophets to prophesy to them about uh, their, their relationship and that God wanted them to turn from their iniquities and to, to give up their idols and to turn back to the living God, and they refused to do it. And, and so God said, because of your iniquity, because you won't turn from it, I'm going to have to punish you. As New Testament believers, I remind you that we too are part of a peculiar, particular uh, people that God has called for his own. And that, re- that relationship frees us. Think about this. The day you got saved, God freed you from the penalty of your sin. You know, he's also given you, yeah, he's also given you uh, the, the, the opportunity to be broken from the power of sin. So the penalty of sin was taken care of the moment you trust Christ. You don't have to worry about going to hell anymore. 
And through Jesus Christ and the power that lives inside of you, you now have the the power to live a victorious Christian life. When people say to me, I can't help myself, they tell me they're Christians, I can't help myself in this sin. I understand there's some besetting sins, but I'm here to tell you there's no sin that has the ability to to, uh, take your uh, your power away from you to overcome it through the Lord Jesus Christ. One day, through Jesus Christ, we're going to be delivered from the presence of sin. That's, That's a blessing, isn't it? We're going to be taken out of this world. I no longer have to deal with sin in this old sinful nature. But, but here, here's what I want us to know. Because we have this relationship with God, we don't have freedom just to live any way we want to. I, I won't have you turn there, but I want you to listen to what the Bible says in the book of Titus, chapter 2, in verses 11 to 14. We hear a lot about grace today. We hear about people saying, well, I have grace. I have the grace of God. I, can, I have freedom. I have grace. I have liberty. You know what you have liberty and what you have grace for? To live in a way that God wants to live. That's what God gives you grace and liberty for. Here's what he says in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared unto all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might deliver us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. That's what God wants for us. He wants us to live in a way that brings him honor and glory. That's what grace is for, that we can deny ungodliness and worldly lust and live godly, righteously, and holy in this present world. So let's ask this question tonight. Who is Amos? Who is this man, Amos, that that is recording such words that are found here? And I'm sure the people, uh, you know, when Amos showed up and he began to deliver these messages of judgment, it wasn't popular. You, you can imagine, you know, you can imagine, uh, you know, even in, in our world today, sometimes when preachers stand up and they preach a, a tough message, sometimes it doesn't go over very well. well. Well, here's a man who's saying, look, get ready. God's about ready to judge you. And, and the people are thinking, well, I don't think so. Life's good right now. We're, we're having a good time. Who, who are you to, to say anything to us? Now I want you to hold your spot here in chapter 3 and turn to chapter 7 because there were some that were questioning who this Amos was. Look at what it says in verse number, chapter 7, verse number 10. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel. Now time out for a moment. Bethel was where Jeroboam, the first king of, uh, when the split took place, and Jeroboam made those, those false gods, you know, the, the, the calves, the golden calf. That These be thy gods, O Israel. They, so he erected those. So Bethel was where they were. So who is this Amaziah? This Amaziah, he's the priest of Bethel. He's the priest of these false gods. So here's Amaziah. He sent to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos hath conspired against thee in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is not able to bear all his words. For thus Amos saith, Jeroboam shall die by the sword, and Israel shall surely be laid, led away captive out of, out of their own land. Also Amaziah said unto Amos, O thou seer, go flee thee away into the land of Judah, and there eat bread and prophesy there. But prophesy not again any more in Bethel, for it is the king's chapel and it is the king's court. A time out for just a moment, just in case you're missing what he's saying here. He said, hey, buddy, you don't belong here. You are, you are in high grass here, pal, and you, don't, you, you are out of your league. What are you, on earth do you think you're doing? This is the king's chapel. This is where you, you've taken on too much upon yourself. Well, I want you to see what Amos responds, how he responds to him. Here's what he says. He says, 
Then answered Amos and said unto Amaziah, I was no prophet, neither was I a prophet's son, but I was a herdsman and I gathered my sycamore fruit. So, so he said, hey, guess what? <laughs> I didn't take this on myself. I didn't ask myself to be a prophet. I was content. I was a farmer. <laughs> I was following the herds. I was a, I was a farmer. I, I grew, you know, the, the sycamore fruit. I didn't ask for this. And he said, I, and the Lord took me. As I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy unto my people, Israel. Now therefore hear thou the word of the Lord. Thou sayest, Prophesy not against Israel, and drop not thy word against the house of Isaac. He said, You're telling me not to do what God's told me to do? I'm sorry, I have to do what God's given me to do. So the, the idea of who are you, he's saying, Look, I didn't call myself to do this. This was not my idea, what I, my plan in life. I was happy to be a farmer. But God said, No, there's a job for you to do. Go preach. To my people, go tell them. So let's get back to chapter three. Notice, if you would, in verses three through six, Amos now asks seven questions to Israel. In this, the next few verses, each of these questions demands a negative response or a negative answer that would come back. He's going to ask and say, "Would this be the case?" And he would say, "Of course not." So what we're having is what we call cause and effect. In other words, why does something happen? Well, because there's a cause. So notice what these these questions are that are given. Verse three. We often quote this verse, can two walk together except they be agreed? Of course not. The, the implication is of two people walking together, it has to be a, a meeting and a determination. Okay, we're going the same direction. We're heading to the same goal. We can walk together. We have a relationship. So, of course not. Two people don't walk together unless they're agreed. So the cause is we agree, therefore we can walk together. So there's cause and there's effect, all right? That's the first question. Verse number four. Will a lion roar in the forest when there's no prey? What, notice what he says. He says, will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? In other words, if there's, you know, why does a lion roar? Well, they tell me, I'm, I, by the way, I'm not going to go out and figure this out on my own. <laughs> I have had the privilege of, of being in Africa, and I've been on some of these, uh, in some of these game parks, and I've been around some of those lions, but I don't want to mess with them. I'm not jumping out of the truck to say, hey, does this work or not? So I'm going to take the Lord's word for it. But here's, here's what he's saying. He said, hey, when a lion roars, it's because there's prey, because he sees something. And they tell me that one of the reasons a lion roars is because that roar paralyzes the prey with fear. In other words, that, it's like the, the barking of a dog. I don't know about you, but I, when I hear a dog barking, if I stop. Especially if I don't know that dog. And I'm in an an unfamiliar territory. So when the lion roars, it kind of freezes the prey. And the reason he's roaring is because he's, he's seeing something that he desires. So that's the cause. He's roaring. And the effect, of course, is there's the prey. Or the cause is the prey and the effect is the roar. All right. Notice uh, verse number four again. Will the young lion cry out if he has nothing? If he, has, he says, in, will the young lion cry out of his den if he hath taken nothing? So again, there's uh, the idea that, hey, this lion has something in his den, therefore he's crying. Verse number five, and this is a little, uh, you know, the wording here is a little, perhaps uh, you know, some of the older English, but it's just, can a bird fall into a snare upon the earth when no gin is in it for him? So the idea is that why does a bird get caught in a snare? Because a trap has been set. There's something that tr attracts the bird. So the attraction is there. So he, no bird is going to fly into a trap without some, some attraction. So that's the thought that he gives to us. Verse number five. 
Will the trap spring or be set off if some prey doesn't fall into it? So, in other words, there's got to be a reason that the, the trap is, is, the snare is set. Verse number six, will one blow a trumpet in a city and people not respond? That's kind of the thought. Okay, when the trumpet blows, it kind of causes people to have some response. Verse number six, he goes on to say, shall there be a calamity or judgment in a city and the Lord hath not done it? So basically what he's saying is, okay, we have all these cause and effect. Can two walk together with it, except they be agree? Nope. Will, will a lion roar if there's no prey? Nope. Does the lion cry out of his den when he has taken nothing? Nope. Will the, will the bird fly into a trap without being uh, something to draw it? Nope. And basically he's getting ready to say, okay, the effect or the cause is your sin and the judgment is coming. That's the, the, the effect of it. So you, you can't expect that you're going to, that, that all these other things are true. And what I'm about to tell you is not true. This judgment is going to happen. Look at verses seven, and eight. God has sent me to warn you. Notice what he says. Surely the Lord will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. The lion hath roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? In other words, don't tell me not to prophesy. I have to tell, tell you what's going on here. Man, the judgment is coming. God has sent me to warn you. Here, I'm trying to help you, but you, you won't seem to listen. Notice, please, in verses 9 through 15, we have a, the next proclamation. The next begins in verse number 9. He says, publish in the palaces at Ashdod, in the palaces of the land of Egypt, and say, assemble yourselves upon the mountains of Samaria, and behold the great tumults in the midst thereof, and the oppressed in the midst thereof. So the judgment was coming because of their iniquities, and God had invited Ashdod and Egypt to the mountains to behold what was about to happen. So here's what we need to know. The people were oppressed in the city of Samaria. According to verse number 9, they're, they're oppressed. Uh, they know to do right, but they store up violence and oppression in their palaces. Look at verse number 10. He says, for they know to do right, saith the Lord, who store up violence and robbery. And then in verse number 11, he says, God is going to judge men. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, an adversary, uh, an adversary there shall be even round about the land, and he shall bring down the strength from thee, and thy palaces shall be spoiled. Basically, you go on to read these next few verses, and ba- he's saying, hey, look, judgment's coming. Just, just understand, it's, it's going to happen. So, uh, you know, the, the idea is that this judgment is very, very real. Now, the second message is found in verse, chapter 4. Look at verses 1 through 13. Now we're to hear about the reasons for judgment. Here's that first phrase again, the first three words, hear this word. So, again, just as he said in verse, chapter, one, verse, or chapter 3, verse 1, hear the word of the Lord. He's saying in chapter 4, hear the word, ye kind of Bashan, uh, or Bashan. That the mountains of Samaria, which oppress the poor, which crush the needy, which say to their masters, bring and let us drink. So I'm, I'm going to kind of try to, if I can't help you to understand maybe exactly what's being said here. I can't be real dogmatic about this. But when, when he talks about these kind of Bashan, or Bashan, the kind were a cow. All right. So he's saying, I'm going to tell you about the cows of, of Bashan. Now, Bashan was the area, you may remember when Israel was coming into the promised land, they had been in the wilderness, and, 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 uh, and what happened was, even during Moses' reign, they conquered some of the land that was on the other side, the west side of the Jordan. 
or maybe it was the east side of the Jordan, I can't quite remember. But on the other side of the Jordan, before they came into the promised land, they conquered some land. Why they want that? Well, some of the tribes stepped up and said, hey, this is good land. This is good land for grazing our cattle. We can raise our cattle here. Can we stay here? And of course, there was, Joshua was a little concerned that they weren't going to go across the Jordan and help with the conquering. They said, no, we'll go. And they made them commit to, to staying until the, the promised land was conquered. So the idea seems to be here that he's talking about these people that would look at these cattle. And of course, the cattle were fat. They were healthy because they had grazed well. So the judgment seems to be, the idea seems to be um, that he's talking about, and I hate to say this, ladies, but he's talking about the, the women of of Israel, and specifically the women of Samaria. It's because we understand that cows are female, right? So he's talking about the cows of Bashan. Now, I, I hate to say that he's calling these ladies cows. I'm not, I'm not going to be real dogmatic. He may be saying that. He may not be saying that. But the indication is he's talking to the feminine gender here. And he's saying, okay, you have grown fat in your lifestyle, you have, you, have, you have lived a lavish lifestyle. And how did they do that? They did it by oppressing the poor. You know, when, when we oppress poor people to get ourselves, to make ourselves rich, that doesn't make God happy. You know, I understand that, that Jesus said in his days that the poor will always be among us. There, there's probably going to always be, according to Jesus, there's going to always be poor people until he comes and sets up his kingdom. But when people oppress poor people, when they make people poor by, by their actions, that angers God. And God said, you, you've done that. And as a result of this, I'm bringing judgment upon you. I'm going to bring this judgment to bear upon you. These affluent women, these, these uh, you know, they're, they're, they're well-groomed, they're, they're well-dressed, they're, they're living in luxury, they're well-fed. And, and they were able to do this by oppressing the poor that were among them. The poor, the needy were being crushed. God was going to deal with them by the nation of Assyria. He's going to bring the Assyrians down to crush them. You know, we look at what's happening there in, in Ukraine, and, and I don't know if you've been paying attention. I don't know how you could not be paying attention to what's happening there. But they're saying that uh, Putin's army is about ready to, to surround the, the city of Kiev, and they're about ready to choke that city, the lifeline out of it, to keep anybody from coming. You know, that's an old, that, that's, that warfare has been going on for, for millenniums. You surround your enemy and you choke off any supply that they can get and you surround them and you, then you, you begin to crush them. And, and, and that was what God was going to do with the Assyrians when he's going to bring them to bear upon the nation of Israel. He's going to crush the city of Samaria by these, these other folks because of their, their, their way that they oppress the poor. In chapter, uh, the same chapter, verses 4 and 5, the people were worshiping in hypocrisy. So in verse number four, he uses some, some what we call sarcasm to invite the people to come to Bethel and Gil Gilgal. Notice what he says, come to Bethel and transgress at Gilgal, multiple transgressions and bring your sacrifices every morning and your tithes after three years. And he said, well, why would he encourage them to come and sacrifice? Well, you know, again, I'm going back to what Bethel was. Bethel was what, not where God was worshipped. Bethel was where these false gods were worshipped, where, the, where the, they had set up the, the, the golden calves to worship. And so he was saying, go ahead, go, go ahead and bring your, your offerings. Go ahead and bring your sacrifices. So he's being sarcastic, saying, go ahead and, and multiply your iniquity. You're going to do it. Go ahead and do it because it's going to bring judgment upon you. He invites them to transgress and multiply their transgression to bring their sacrifices, their tithes. Notice he states they offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving with leaven. He makes that statement in verse number five. Leaven is never a positive statement. 
Leaven was never used in the sacrifices of God. It was, leaven is always a, a type of sin that is, is, is found throughout the scripture. So whenever you see leaven, it's never used in a positive connotation of anything positive towards the spiritual aspect. So these people were worshipped in hypocrisy. Notice, if you wouldn't, in verses 6 through 13, the nation refused to repent. I, I find this fascinating, what he says to them in this, in this prophecy. Notice what he says in verse number 6. I also have given you cleanness of teeth in your cities and want of bread in all your places, yet you have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. And I also have withholden the rain from you. Then were ye yet three months into the harvest, and I caused it to rain upon one city and caused it not to rain upon another city. One piece was rained upon and one piece whereupon it rained not withered. So two or three cities wandered to one city to drink water, but there was not satisfied. Yet they have not returned to me, saith the Lord. I smitten you with blasting with mildew when your gardens and your vineyards and your fig trees and your olive trees increased. The palmer worm devoured them, yet ye have not returned to me, saith the Lord. I have sent among you pestilence after the manner of Egypt. Your young men have I slain with the sword, and I have taken away your horses, and I have made the, the stink of your camps to come up into your nostrils, yet ye have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. I have overthrown some of you as the Lord overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and ye were, ye were as a firebrand plucked from the burning, yet ye have not returned unto me, saith the Lord. Therefore thus will I do unto thee, O Israel, and because I will do this unto thee, prepare to meet thy God, O Israel, for, thou hath, for lo, he that formeth the mountains and createth the wind, and declareth unto man that what is his thought, that maketh the morning darkness, and treadeth upon the high places of the earth. The Lord, thy, the God of hosts, is his name. So he's saying, he said, look, I, I, I've done all these things to try to get you to turn to me, to, to return back to me. I, I, I've caused you to have some, some difficulty. You had cleanness of teeth. When he says cleanness of teeth, he's saying you didn't have enough to eat. You, you didn't have enough to drink, but yet you didn't repent. You didn't turn to me. That, that was his, 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 he's bringing this, if you would, an indictment against him, why this judgment was coming. We wonder sometimes why God does what he does. Well, God is just. He never does things unjustly. We don't necessarily always understand why God does what he does. But I'm here to tell you that your God, my God, the God of the Bible is a just God. It's a righteous God, a holy God. Verse chapter 5, verses 1 through 17, we now hear about the need for repentance. Now, here in the third message of judgment, Amos invited the people to hear him lament. Lamentation or a lamenting, from my understanding, was like a funeral poem that was, was stated or sung, so to speak, during the, the, the uh, march to the cemeteries. The body was being taken to burial. They would say, state these lamentations. So basically what Amos is saying in his lamentation is that, hey, you're, you're just about done. You're, you're on your last leg. So repent, he said in verses 1 through 3, because judgment is coming. He likens in these verses that Israel is like a young virgin that would fall in the land that none could raise up. You know, God had called his wife, Israel, to be his wife. Amen. They had a relationship. He said, I've called you to be my wife. I've espoused you to me. You know, in the New Testament, of course, we find that the, in this New Testament era, the, the church of Jesus Christ is the bride of Christ. And that's why he expects his bride to be spotless. He expects her to be pure. Well, Israel had failed to separate themselves to God, and she ran after false gods, and, 
of the world that appealed to her flesh. And verse 3 speaks to the fact that most people in Israel would be carried away into captivity. Notice that. He says, look, there's only about a tenth of you that are left. 90% of you are going to be carried away to captivity or die in in this calamity. So only about a tenth of people would be left during the captivity. And these would be the weakest and poorest of the people. So we, we understand that God obviously says, I want you to repent because judgment is coming, but he also repent because God desires it. Look at you would verses 4 through 15. Even though judgment was determined, God still desired his people to turn to him. Look what he says in verse number 4 and verse number 6. Notice what he says in verse 4. He says uh, in chapter 5, he makes this statement, um, the right verse. For thus saith the Lord... Unto the house of Israel, seek ye, seek ye me, and ye shall live. So he says, seek me. God, God says, hey, you, there's still, though this is determined, there's some that if you'll turn. Look what he says in verse number six. Seek the Lord, and ye shall live. So twice in this message he's saying, there's still opportunity for, for some of you that will turn. Verses eight and nine are parentheses verses. They speak of the power of the mighty God. Jehovah, the God uh, that they were going to worship, is not some false idol. It's not some God who is made of stone or of wood or, 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 or some precious metal, although people were worshiping those, those idols. In verses 8 and 9, he speaks about the, the power of God, the, the mighty power of God. Uh, Seek him that make the seven stars in Orion, and turneth the shadow of death unto the morning, and make the day dark with night, and call for the waters of the sea, and pour them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name that strengthened the spoiled against the strong, so the spoiled shall come up against the fortress. It basically, it's just saying, look at who this God is. This God, this is the God who's calling you to repent. You come to him, he's got great mighty power. He's not like some God that you bow down to that has no power, has no eyes to see, and no ears to hear, no hands to help. He's a living God, the powerful God, the God who made it all. Come to him. God desires it. Verse number 10 speaks for the need of righteous rulers. Boy, do we need that today. I don't know about you, but I get so tired of politicians today making promises. I feel like all our politicians are being bought. They're all in the pocket of somebody. You know, I I said to my wife today, I said, I wish we could somehow reform our political system where you don't have to have billions of dollars to run for some office because everybody that pours money into you expects something back. There's a reason God said to his, to, his, to his leaders, don't take bribes, don't take gifts. Because when people give you a gift, they expect something in return. And so well, there's a need for righteous leaders. There was a need in, in, in the days of, of Amos. There's certainly a need today. I just feel like we're just, we've just so polluted the system. And you see these people that go to Washington, D.C., and they're going to help us, right? Why is it why they're in office? They become multimillionaires. They're being bought. They're, they're being owned. We need righteous leaders. And, and I'm just simply saying that was the need. People do wickedly. And, when, and those people that do wickedly hate those who, who rebuke them. It's no wonder why they hated Amos, because he was rebuking them. Amos, again, pleads with the people for God in verses 14 and 15. Notice if you would. Now we move into. So the first three had to deal with hear ye. The last two messages, and we must quickly Touch on this. These are, these are messages of woe. The message of woe. From Amos chapter 5 through verse 18 all the way to chapter 6 verse 14. So they begin with the word woe. So notice what happens in verse number 18 of chapter 5. 
He makes this statement, Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. As if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and the serpent bit him. Shall not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, even very dark and no brightness in it. So the word woe is expressed again with an outburst of emotion. So he's, he has this lamp lamenting in chapter 5. Now he moves into these words of woe that are really emotional words. So the folks wanted the day of the Lord. The indication is of what he states. The day of the Lord, of course, is the period of time where God is going to exercise judgment. So in their mind, you know, in the Old Testament, we, we find, I think one of the reasons the Jews struggled was because they saw their Messiah as, as a, a political leader. And certainly that's seen in the Old Testament. So that's part of the, 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 the reign of Jesus Christ. What they missed was the sacrifice that was necessary. They, they didn't understand the two advents. It was somewhat, they were somewhat blinded to it. So what they were longing for was this day when the Lord would come to establish his, his kingdom and, and restore Israel to this greatness. And so they're, they're longing for this. And, and yet what we find as we read in the New Testament, if you go to Revelation beginning in chapter 6 all the way to chapter 20, we find the day of the Lord unfolding. It's the day of judgment. That seven-year period of, of tribulation when God pours out his wrath, that is the day of the Lord. And at the end of that tribulation, here comes Jesus to claim his kingdom and establish himself in righteousness to rule upon this earth for a thousand years. So he's saying, okay, you want that day to come? You don't understand the darkness that's coming with that day of the Lord and, and how difficult it's going to be for the nation of Israel. Pastor Pete preached a great message on, on Sunday night about uh, from the Olivet Discourse and the things that were going to happen during that time of tribulation. And Israel is, is in for a very difficult time during this, this tribulation period because they have rejected their, their Savior. And they're going to go through this time, and, and the world is going to turn against them. And it's going to be very, very difficult. Read that Matthew 24, chapter 25, that Olivet Discourse in Mark chapter, uh, I believe it's Mark chapter 14 or 15, where we read it again in Mark's gospel about what's going to happen during those times. So Amos says, Woe to those that are wanting this day of the Lord. What end will it be for you? It'll be a day of darkness, not light. Amos describes the day in three pictures. Notice in the first part of verse number 18, he describes it as a day of despair and mourning, a, a day of darkness in the last part of verse number 18. And then, and then finally, he describes it as a day of doom in verse number 19. So it's not, not going to be a, a pleasant time for the nation of Israel. Notice how, how God hated their spiritual works according to verses 21 to 25 of chapter 5. He just hated their spiritual their spiritual work. The problem was that while things outwardly may appear that they were good, God knew their evil hearts. Look, look at verse number 24. I think this is a crucial verse in all the book of Amos. Chapter 5, verse 24. But let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. It's a crucial verse. It speaks of God's desire that we do not act pious, but we truly live in a way that brings God honor and glory. That was what he was, he was asking these people. He said, look, look, let, look righteousness, uh, but let judgment run down as waters. Let it be right judgment. And righteousness is a mighty stream. Let, let that be the, the driving force of, of your, your population, of your, of your people. You know, we, we live in a day when nobody wants to really live differently. Yet God has called us to be a peculiar people. He's called us to be a, a different people. We're not to be like the rest of the world. It doesn't mean that we have to be, you know, weird or strange or act like goofs. 
But we, but we should have a bit better character. Amen. We should carry ourselves with integrity and uprightness. We should treat each other with, with dignity and respect, not be falling into the traps. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just, it just, it's grieving to my soul to hear the, the, the profanity in our society today. It just, it, it just, we become a coarse people. And I'm telling you, if we're not careful, we as God's people, we can be as, as coarse as they are. And, and God has called us to be a different type of people. And God was saying to the nation of Israel, you're not different. You've allowed the nations around you to impact you. Israel had a history of being rebellious and stiff-necked. Even in the wilderness, they, uh, when given a test, when Moses was going on top of Mount Sinai, remember that? They, they said, you know, hey, Aaron, help us. We need, some, we need, a, we need a God. And he says, break off your earrings. When Moses comes and confronts him, he said, well, all he did was throw it into the fire and out pops this, this calf. Now, how many of us believe that, right? You just throw it in the fire and out comes this calf. No, no, that didn't happen. But yet, you know, we excuse ourselves as, as the people of God. And that's what he's saying. Then he's, the final woe is found in chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. Woe to those that live in excess. That's his final message of judgment. The final words of woe and these are found in these 14 verses. The message is both to the capital cities of Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and Israel. In verse number 2, he uh, he. He, he points out that other Gentile cities had been captured and destroyed by the Assyrians. So Israel was living in affluence. Uh, he basically points it out here to them um, and uh, in chapter 6. Notice what he says, Ye that be put away far from me the evil day and caused this seed of violence to come near. Notice what he says, that they lie upon their beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves from the midst of the stall. They chant to the sound of the viol and they invent to themselves instruments of music like David that drink the wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. In other words, he's saying you're just living your good life, just like everything's great, but yet it's not great. You have violated my covenant. And you're living in luxury and, and you act as if there's not going to be any day of judgment. Verse 8 speaks of God hating the pride of Israel. And that would, he would destroy Samaria. Yeah. I, I want to just close by saying Amos' point in these four chapters is that judgment was coming. It's a judgment that is just and a great righteous God who is about to bring it to pass upon them. And yet he was being kind to them by sending this prophet to point out to them Here's the problem. You can still repent. But did they? Nope, they didn't. You know, the same thing can happen to us. It can happen in this day in which we're living. I, uh, I don't know how much time we have left in this whole world. I sure see things that are lining up, can't you? I mean, you, you have to be blind not to see how things can line up towards what the Bible says will be happening in the end days. Amen. How how easily this world could be united under one ruler and how people so easily obey the orders that are given to them without even questioning, just fall into line. Yeah, it's a one world economy and how we can live with a ca in a cashless system and just get this mark and to buy and sell. I mean, it just, you can see how it could so easily happen. I don't know about you, but I'm glad I'm on the winning side. And uh, yet, we still have some time here. And it's not time for us to live any way we want to live. It's time for us to live in a way that brings honor and glory to the Lord. The thing that every one of us that are sitting here tonight that know Christ should be striving for 
It's not for the approval of your husband or your wife, not for the approval of your pastor, but to have the approval of the Lord God of heaven who will say to you one day, well done, thy good and faithful servant. And we should be striving for that. We should be laboring for that. But the truth of the matter is, I think so often we allow things into our life. And I'm, I'm, I'll be honest, I allow things into my life. And I, sometimes I look at myself and say, Kevin, why did you do that? Why did, you, why did you allow yourself to go down that path? And I'm just simply saying is, it's so easy to fall in these traps. And sometimes to be self-satisfied. But there's a God in heaven who sees all. And that's why the Bible, and that's why the things of God are so vitally important in our life. Why so desperately we need in these days... We don't need less church. We need more church. We don't need less God. We need more God in our life. We need more of the Bible. We need more of the Holy Spirit. And God wants to help us, but we've got to be obviously compliant to the one who probes us and prods us and convicts us. We need to agree with the Holy Spirit of God when he convicts us about what's going on in our life.